Welcome to MLD Wealth, Money Matters, a podcast dedicated to sharing insights on the market and economy. Hosted by Chad Larson, top-ranking portfolio manager at CG Wealth Management and founder of MLD Wealth Management. In this podcast, Chad shares concise, clear and authentic views on the market, helping gain greater clarity on the current state of the investment landscape facing investors. Hey guys, it's Chad Larson with MLD. Um, this is a special kind of a segment of MLD Money Matters. Um, for no, if, you know, for the reason we've got Greg Taylor uh, in our offices today. I don't have a podcast studio, uh, so he's just down the hall from me. But you know, Greg was in town, and I thought it would be a great chance to to introduce him. Um, you know, by a bit of way of background, um, Greg Taylor is the chief investment officer at Purpose Investments. So first off, Purpose Investments has been around for over ten years. Is over eighteen billion dollars of assets under management, and I've you know, MLD has had a formal uh, working relationship with Purpose uh, over the last five, six years and going back into the, you know, the augmentation of my career. Um, you know, in that, you know, the formation of MLD Core Fund, which is, you know, part of uh, the recipe or building blocks of of creating our core portfolios across client accounts. Greg is part, you know, is more, Greg is part of the um, formal informal um, investment selection committee is someone that I speak to on a regular basis and helping you know formulate, confirm uh, thought processes, polish up uh, investment thesis, looking for opportunities across the marketplace. And you know we leverage the you know the the other institutions and managers that we you know we sub employ and work closely with to help drive client outcomes. Um, so, you know, listen, we're going to thank Greg for being here. You know, he's a data-driven manager uh, with a focus on managing risk through active trading strategies. Uh, he specializes in finding and exploiting pockets of volatility in the markets to drive returns. And he's spent more than the last 15 years managing pension mutual fund assets. So, Greg, first, thanks for being here. Um, we did spend a couple minutes in the side room before we went to filming and saying, what are we going to talk about? And, you know, we're going to keep this quite informal. Um, you know, one of the things I'm going to tee you up to start about is uh, it's only been a t- two weeks less than my kind of last segment where we talked about the narrow breadth of the market, some of the concerns as we enter into a recession. And I, I did guide clients that, you know, because the markets are forward looking, um, but just to remember from the armchair, um, of your living room when you're watching the news, like the data is probably going to get bad. Um, but we have this seasonal Santa Claus rally. Like, is this bounce real? Um, tell me how you're seeing things, what your peers, colleagues, and how you're, how you're doing through this. Yeah. Thanks, Chad. And it's good to have uh, on the podcast. Uh, I know you've been a big supporter of purpose and happy to help anyway. And then, and, and also just, as you mentioned, keep the conversation going, cause it's a, it's a two way street and I think you can never have enough information in this business. Always good talk and talking to smart people that are connected. Um, and in talking to those people, I think the, the question you just asked is by far the biggest question everyone's getting right now is, is this bounce real? And, and it's always one of those things you never know till, till the end, but, I think it goes back to just positioning as much as anything else that uh, going September, October, which we all know was the seasonal bad part of the calendar. Uh, there's a lot of issues and and they played out. Seasonality has actually been working really well this year. Uh, so September, October were pretty dire months. And, and really what happened in October is outside of the problems in geopolitics in the Middle East, 
The biggest issue is that bond yields took off. And this market's really coming down to one factor, and it's all about bond yields. And when you look at just looking at the 10-year U.S. Uh, Yes, bond. It, it really started to scare people in the middle of October. It took off. The 10-year went back to well over 5%, so near cycle highs. And and that wasn't supposed to be the case. Everyone thought that yields had kind of peaked out in June. And when they spiked higher in October, that caused a lot of panic. And we saw that in equities is people kind of threw in the towel with uh, banks going down, REITs going down, retailers going down. And and that was kind of an ugly period as people started talking about the hard landing, did the Fed lose control? And it kind of one of those darkest before the dawns. And then it's just kind of magically, and I'm going to have to remember this next time, but as soon as the calendar flips, magically you go from the worst two months to the best month of the year, which is November. And I was looking at it that November really started off with a bang. The, the numbers came in well. Bond yields started to pull back as we got some then weakness in inflation data. And the first week of October was the best week that we had in the calendar year. And um, again, the markets were up in that one day. They were, what did, what did the TSX rally that one day? It was well over two. It was like two and a half. It's two or three. And, it, and yeah. it's really interesting just the tone that shifted because and it's also when you look at some of the sentiment indicators, they got really washed out. Uh, there's a good survey, the AAII Bull Bear Index comes out every Thursday. They just survey different advisors throughout the U.S. And it's a simple question. Are you bullish, bearish or neutral? And the amount of people that were were bullish uh, in the end of in, in November sorry, last week of October, we're almost at the, the all time low. Uh, so people were just giving up. I uh, looked at it, it came out last week. Back to almost the all-time high. Isn't so that biggest, almost? It, isn't it, you know, sector pre pre doing pre doing the podcast? Um, you know, one of the call it the graphics. Like, you know, I think a lot of times people like you and me start talking about treasury yields and you know job numbers and non-farm payrolls and people's like eyes glaze over. Even mine do. I, I just have a better attention span to pretend I'm interested in stuff because I have to and I'm paid to. Um, but I used to just and I still look at it as that Yahoo has a great fear and greed index. And it was quite interesting. It's almost like, you know, do the opposite. And it goes back to that Warren Buffett, you know, be greedy when people are fearful, be fearful when people are greedy, because when everyone is done selling, what's the only thing that can happen? Yeah, there, there was, there's there's no one left. If there's no one left to sell, the market's going to go up, and and that's kind of what happened. My, I started out my career on the buy side, but as a buy side trader, is that and enough? Really, is that enough a reason, or only for tactical parts of your capital? Like, well, if the and, only and reason it, something's going up is because it's being thrown out a window, is no, but it's it's also kind of just a start. Like some rallies have to start from somewhere, and and I I would be in the camp that this rally we're seeing in the last week or two is is more of a seasonal tactical short cover than anything else. I don't think this is the start of a new bull market. As you mentioned, there's going to be a lot more bad news coming ahead of us. Mm -hmm. But I think for some sectors, I think we probably have priced in the worst case scenario. Uh, when you look at some parts of the market, again, looking at the, the value tilted, the banks, the utilities, some of the, the telcos, uh, they've priced in almost Armageddon. Mm -hmm. and, and anything less than Armageddon, you're going to see a bit of a bounce here. So I, I would say there are parts of the market that are still a little stretched. We've seen some mania in the AI hype. Uh, NVIDIA has been a fantastic stock. It's a great company. It might be a little expensive right now because I don't think everyone's going to be uh, putting an AI server chip in their backyard anytime soon, which is almost what it's pricing in. But things are going to sort out, and I think you're going to see a bit of a normalizing. So uh, I do think we're in the camp that there is going to be a recession next year in the U.S. Um, 
the debate is whether Canada's already in one, which is an academic debate anyway. Yeah. But again, yeah. markets are forward-looking and markets tend to bottom six months before a recession. So if people are talking about a recession happening sometime mid next year, you can say we price that in and we're going to start to see things start to get a little better and and the equity markets might be the forward-leading statement. Equities are supposed to be forward-leading and, and I think we can have priced in a little bit too much downside. Yeah, we talked about that calendar flip too. It's almost kind of funny when I, um, you know, the minute we wake up, January one, Lord, probably with a headache for most of us. Um, we were already, we can start talking and pointing to 2025. Like I, I think one of the interesting stats that I was looking at is, you know, we we talk about like the equal weighted S and P and how narrow the market returns have been. You know, stripping out, you know, the, the magnificent seven is this such an industry filled with acronyms and taglines, but it's how we sell newspapers, right? Um, you know, the equal weighted S and P is, you know, is down. Um, the TSX is meh, banks have been decimated. You know, this would be net of technology stocks in this AI hype third time in history. The S and P would be down two years in a row. No, and listen, we're doing something more than betting. And I think reversion to mean is such a dangerous, uh, thing to anchor and it can be part of our process. But the reality is, is, and I, I tried to make the analogy and again, no one's, you know, no one's you know, going to get tarred and feathered for this, but you know, are we in the seventh inning of this? Are we in the eighth and ninth? I can say with, you know, some certainty of my personal belief, uh, and I'm sure all the, uh, the small print at the end and the disclaimers that, that these aren't the views of all people. Um, but the worst of this is over, you know, is it, you know, do we get our cages rattled, you know, one more time, but this is, I have to believe that the, with the yield curve being so inverted, you know, five, six percent GIC, wonderful, taxed very inefficiently. You can't stretch duration out and two years out, equity markets look a lot more constructive. Sorry, that was my phone. Um, yeah. What are, yeah, what are I, some I, of the I probably just, I turn it around a little bit because I, I think the biggest thing that we can maybe say we are in the eighth, ninth inning of is the move in bond yields. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's been the big thing. And it's been the biggest factor for everything from, from real estate to fixed income to equities is what the bond yields are doing. And, and I don't think many of us in our career have, have seen the type of market where bond yields have basically gone from negative to, to 5% within this period of three years. Yeah. And, and that's something that changes everything. Because you've gone from when everyone was scrambling to try and find make find a way to make three four percent and every type of obscure different instruments to now you can make five percent in the money market instrument that changes the valuations of everything mm-hmm. and and that's really I think what's caused the market to have this dislocation that banks yeah, utilities telcos are getting hurt because you can your, your things you used to buy for dividend yields you don't need them anymore because of money markets but but if that big yield curve is going to flip or the we have seen the peak in yields. And a recession is certainly one way to get yields to pull back. Uh, this is kind of game on in different parts of the market. And that's something that you don't want to get too bearish on because you can miss some really good returns if you're late. You kind of don't want to wait for the recession or wait for bond yields to, to have everyone know they've peaked to get in because by then the, the part of the, almost the juiciest part of the trade is done. Yeah. Yeah. And isn't that the truth, right? Like by the time it makes sense, you know, the, the market has moved. I, we've talked about that in positioning strategies. Like we obviously, um, you know, purpose as a, an active manager, but also a subset is the creation of ETFs and vehicles to to access the marketplace in various fashions. And a lot of times when we make a sector call, uh, you know, we manage a lot of capital. We have to put that, that exposure on nimbly, cheaply and liquid um, because half the time too, while we're pontificating and trying to 
you know, have meetings with the various management teams and 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 roll our sleeves up, the, the market will move 10, 15% before you've ever even figured out which, you know, yeah. which person you want to take to the dance, so to speak. Um, you know, not in closing, I just I wanted to make sure that we we stayed in brevity here. And I think the the purpose of this, no pun intended, um, was really just to to have a, a high caliber person like yourself who who we do work with closely and in, in the formation of ideas and, and, and how to implement um, tactical positions within the portfolio and form the the magnetic core of, uh, of what we're doing. These checks and balances are important. Um, you know, we've talked about you know interest rates and bond yields. I actually maybe two seconds on the on the interest rate component. Bond yields. You know, I said I said to um, a friend of mine who runs uh, a private credit fund. Um, as like clients can't eat IRR, they can't eat returns. Um, and it's an argument I used to have my wife uh, around the difference between gross profit and gross margin, albeit they're same thing. They just speak differently. Uh, you know, you're you're a retail client. What's your view on on interest rates? Like, I don't think anyone believes they're going back to, to zero or low anytime soon. But do you think central banks, will Canada have to cut before the U.S.? Well, it's going to be an interesting debate. It definitely, I think Canada Canadians are finding more stress because of the, the where the interest rates are, and that's just because of the way our mortgages are structured. Uh, the U.S. and average American has a thirty-year mortgage, lowest in the, lowest in the G seven, lowest in the G seven, and they're right. income tax in, income tax deductible. So, yeah. Yeah, and there's a lot of people that are already pointing out the stats that I, I I'm going to get the number wrong, but it's 30 percent of all mortgages in Canada reset in the next uh, 18 months, and and that's going to be scary. And I think the central bankers are aware of that number and is pretty high in their statement because central bankers to, don't want to break things, and and they always usually tend to stay too long, too tight. And yeah. I think they're they're fully aware of this and they've seen the stress in the system. So. I think there's probably going to be some sense that the Bank of Canada is going to have to cut before the Bank of uh, the U.S. FOMC. Uh, the Bank of Canada also hiked six months before the, the Fed started the hike. So they were earlier to hike, so they should be earlier to cut. Uh, but the biggest implication there is the dollar, uh, because if the Bank of Canada starts cutting in the U.S. dozen or stays higher, higher for longer, the Canadian dollar is going to come under pressure. So the dollar is maybe the collateral damage that they don't want to focus on, but it's something to be aware of and why you may want to have a little more uh, exposure to the U.S. dollar going forward. Because Let's talk about oil there. Like the bank- Let's go to tee up. Let's talk about oil. Aside from on the geopoliticals, um, it's constructive on the sector. Absolutely. I think um, the one thing that I'm taking away from this is at the end of the day, ESG is going to go down as the best thing that ever happened to the Canadian <laughs> energy sector. Uh, it's probably backwards <laughs> because of lack of investment in tight oil supply. Yeah. Absolutely. We almost had five years where there's no capital formation. No one was going to put money into the sector. There were no juniors. There's no exploration. There are no wells being dug. There's no mines being built. And, and what happened is the companies have made it out the other side, made it through the darkest period, are now incredibly well-run operators and their cash flow machines. And, and they also seem like, have you seen balance sheets like this? It's incredible. When you look at these companies like Termaline that are doing buybacks and special dividends and they're not making stupid acquisitions. And, and I think this is something that they're suddenly realizing will bring their, their stock a lot better investors over time. And yeah. so I think the energy sector is one you want to hold on. And especially if inflation is going to be sticky and around for a while, you got to have a case for real assets. And I think the real assets are going to be part of everyone's portfolio and they should be for maybe a 5%, 10% weighting going forward. And that's not just energy. That's maybe gold, some uh, some copper, some of the other uh, agriculture. And I yeah. think these are just good diversifiers and 
and kind of a a nice way to have something that's not correlated to one like we've, we've talked with fixed we've talked we've talked uranium before too and i think like the kind of wanted to give you a little bit of a t-ball there because again like geographic biases you can imagine like you know um you know we're a global institution you know we've got clients all over the place but geographically you know calgary's home base and you know i spend a quarter of my time in toronto but uh for you know alberta-based listeners you know we think of energy as oil and gas um talk to us how yeah. to understand uranium you know it's something well, I, you know you've steered me and we do have exposure on um across you know the core fund in uranium and it's tell me how that trade plays out and why well i i think there's a few ways that uranium is going to be looked at as almost a green metal going forward uh uranium got the black mark because of, as much as anything bad press and and just a smear campaign after Fukushima and Three Mile Island and such. But at the end of the day, it's still the most efficient way to plug your in your Tesla and get nuclear power to, to run your the grid. Uh, the grid's not going to work on, on traditional technologies. And then I think the biggest wake up for everyone was after the Russian invasion of Ukraine, when Germany, who had been a green leader and ESG friendly, shut had shut down all their nukes. And suddenly when they started not getting natural gas from Russia, they had nothing to do other than turn on their coal plants. And that's the farthest thing from being ESG friendly. So <laughs> everyone had that wake up moment. And now they're turning back on nukes. They're building them up. France is going to restart them. Japan, of all places, is going to start to restart their nukes. And people are suddenly realizing there isn't that much uranium out there. And there are no new mines being built. And and, and I think that's a big wake up. And the good thing with Canada is we do actually have a few good companies here that and I think Canadian uranium production is some of the best in the world. Uh, Cameco is is one of the the ways you can get exposure to this. I don't think um, many people want to buy anything from Russia these days. And then there's also <laughs> oh, a lot of good um a good good uh, the next tier down next gen is a name that uh, yeah. we've been heavily involved in. And I think we've talked on before that has done incredibly well good things and just recently got their permits to build. Uh, the next uh, big uranium mine in the world in northern Saskatchewan, near to some of the, the chemical assets, and are they, and I would, there, are they, they could, head office in like Saskatoon, aren't they? I uh, I think they their head office is van, in Vancouver, Vancouver but yeah, certainly yeah, have they, a big Saskatchewan presence. Yeah. And, um, and, and, and all I would the cool, say in all the cool places I do get to travel, I do uh, I still do get back home. My family has roots there, so geographically uh, disciplined into Saskatchewan. And it's nice to see that there's some uh, growth in the mining sector in Canada. Totally. As much as we're giving up on some of these sectors, which I hopefully we, we change that attitude. Yeah. Awesome. Listen, I've used a lot of your time. I want to make sure that everyone, uh, we keep this, you know, uh, short and brief and, and, and hopefully to create more conversations like for, you know, for our listeners or private clients and others, if you have any questions or comments, you have at any time um feel free to give a member of mld a call or shoot me a note happy to discuss things uh you know offline or, or more detailed but again greg thanks so much for coming into the office today maybe next time i'll get a, a studio you can sit beside me but uh, uh thanks, again, your time greg talk soon thanks bye, bye. The comments expressed in this podcast are the results of work done 
by MLD Wealth Management. They may differ from the opinion of Canaccord Genuity Corp and should not be considered as representative of Canaccord Genuity Corp beliefs, opinions, or recommendations. All views expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and do not constitute an offer or solicitation to buy or sell any securities. The statements expressed herein are not intended to provide tax, legal, or financial advice and under no circumstances should be construed as solicitation to act as a securities broker or dealer in any jurisdiction. All views are intended for general circulation only and do not have any regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or general needs of any particular person, organization, or institution. Please do not hesitate to contact us should you want to know more about the information contained in this video or have any related questions. Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management in Canada is a division of Canaccord Genuity Corp. Member, Canadian Investor Protection Fund, and the Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.